Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today, friend in life, back from France, vacation, all over the world, the man himself, John Paulson. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, Lest viewers believe that I was only in France, we did go to Amsterdam and uh, Munich and uh, Venice and Rome and Barcelona on our whirlwind European tour, but I'm back. And uh, I really think that July 4th is the unofficial kickoff to the fantasy fantasy football season. I know there are people have been drafting uh, best ball for months now, but I think the casual guy, girl, manager, whatever gets involved, starts paying attention and after the July 4th. So it's coming up soon. I'm excited to talk about some volatile players today. How are you doing, John? Doing well. I can attest that July is, in fact, when everyone starts tuning in again. As someone who third wheels a lot of dates with friends in Chicago area, it's usually the boyfriends and the husbands that will stop down and say, actually, I need to add this to my schedule, this podcast, this weekly reading come July, because that's fantasy football season. That's when everyone gets back involved. Which is also why I draft all year long, just to make sure we are always ahead of ADPs and can ensure we know where players are going and try to understand why. Sigmund Bloom, friend of the show, was scheduled initially for today, but he will instead be coming on next week, unfortunately due to issues ongoing and lots of the smoke, honestly, and the New Orleans area. He's fine. He'll be joining next week. But Paulson, as you mentioned, it's us today talking about players I believe are the most volatile in fantasy football. And I want to start with Christian Watson. I said this on a show while you were on vacation and Denny Carter came on, and that is that everything can be expected from Watson. Like, we have no idea which direction is going to go, given that since the season did begin post-injury from week 10 on, and four of those games, the four games he scored a touchdown – he averaged over 22 fantasy points. And the other four games where he did not score a touchdown, he was the wide receiver, wide receiver 57 in points per game. That's volatile. So go ahead and give me your outlook on Watson from a new quarterback this year. Yeah, so he's uh, his ADP is wide receiver 20. I think earlier in the offseason, it might have been a little bit higher. I might be remembering, misremembering, but you know maybe low teens. And I thought that was uh, really aggressive in terms of his uh, his ADP because of the, some of the players that you're taking him over if you're if you're drafting him that high. I have him at, at uh, wide receiver 23 right now. Uh, I'm just looking at the group: uh, Jerry Judy 21, Tyler Lockett 22, Watson at th- uh, 23, DK Metcalf 24, Brandon Ayuk 25, and I think that's a reasonable group for him to be in. There's some other players maybe you would argue below him that maybe should be higher than him because of he's you know they're maybe like a DJ Moore, but you know, we, we all know that the Chicago bears passing attack is kind of questionable in terms of how much volume they're going to have. Uh, but with, with Watson, you know, as a Packer fan watching all the games, uh, he is the fastest guy in the field. He certainly looks that way. And uh, if they can get him on his slants and his crossing routes and he can make a guy miss, like he can take it to the house at any given moment. So I think, he is going to have some huge games. Uh, I, I think we don't know exactly what Jordan Love is. So the quarterback situation uh, is certainly questionable in terms of whether or not he's going to be able to uh, you know, replicate or 
at least, uh, you know, step in for Aaron Rodgers and do a decent job within the Packers offense. Uh, we also have, you know, rumors that Romeo Dobbs is the, the go-to guy right now for Jordan Love in camp. Uh, and we also have a pretty talented uh, rookie coming in, uh, Jaden Reed, uh, as well. So uh, I, I think that this team offensively may have some serious growing pains, and I think there's going to be some bad weeks for, for Watson. I think in best ball, it makes it easier to take him because you're not worried about the good weeks and the bad weeks so much as you just enjoy the boom weeks and hope that somebody else is able to step up in the bad weeks. But I think there's some players that are going to be more consistent that are going to be drafted after him for sure. And I don't want to be overweight on him thinking that I'm in the minority of believing he's much more volatile than people are giving him credit for. And where he's drafted, as you mentioned, a top 40 pick right now, roughly wide receiver 20 at his position. It does make sense because if you start Justin Jefferson, maybe even go elite tight end with TG Hawkinson, you can get Watson into the fourth round and already start those week 17 best ball stacks since the Packers play the Vikings indoors too then. What odds though, since you mentioned it's Romeo Dobbs who's getting all the reports out of OTAs and leading the team in targets from Jordan Love, what odds do you give Christian Watson leading the team in targets, presumably over Dobbs? Leading in targets. Uh, I, I think he will lead in yards. Uh, I think targets maybe is less less of a chance to lead in targets, but still probably the, you know, the clubhouse favorite. Uh, 60%, 55% chance. I mean, this is not as high as some of these other players, you know, going in this range, although we, we are getting into some wide receiver two types here in this, in this range. So, uh, there, you know, there's a chance that they don't lead the team in targets either. Uh, he probably should, uh, he is by far the most athletic tight end that they have. And, uh, you know, they're going to want to feature him, but I don't know if he's going to be a, a 10 target type guy. He might be more in that seven, six, seven range with Dobbs just right there as well. And Dobbs, of course, is inconsequential to draft since it happens in the last four rounds is when he usually goes uh, around Jaden Reed, usually behind him, actually, and with Luke Musgrave filling in as well as a last-round tight end, giving there's no competition there unless their other rookie, Tucker Craft, breaks out instead. On to another Watson, though, because the way people are treating Deshaun Watson right now is that it's basically the tear break after Trevor Lawrence and he Watson is who people are drafting before Anthony Richardson Tua Tungabaloa and the rest of that group and I'm curious do you perceive him being the actual player to break these tiers of quarterbacks last year of course only his age 25 season and that was the first time he averaged less than 20 points per game as the QB 25 and points per game and he averaged 14 and a half it wasn't even close but of course he was removed from football for a year and a half. So your thoughts on Watson? Yeah, I'm trying to navigate your old site, NBC Sports, to pull up the latest information. As, Good as luck with talking. the rebrand. <laughs> yeah, I, it was a little bit challenging there, but I think I got there. I just wanted to see if there's anything like, uh, you know, coming up late. Uh, uh, you know, my my take on Watson from last year was that he was pretty bad. I mean, he was rusty and it didn't go well. And, uh, I also think that his ADP at QB9 uh, is pretty aggressive for a player that looked the way that he looked last year. Now, we know 
he has a lot of talent and uh, could get, could get back to his top five ways. I mean, he has top five upside. He did when he was in Houston. The question is, can he get that back at this point in his career, uh, or you know, or or do the the Browns continue to play run heavy? Uh, they did try to open things up more with Watson at, at quarterback last year. He's going ahead of Tua. He's going ahead of Richardson, uh, Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith. So. There's some guys there that have proven low-end QB one ability. Uh, I think maybe I think maybe in best ball, and you are you are right about it being a tier break. It's almost 20 picks after between Trevor Lawrence QB eight and Watson QB nine. I think people are kind of swinging for the fences here in these best ball tournaments and hoping that he can get back to his top two or three, top five ways. I'm just kind of leery about it. I've got him, you know, as a middle, middle of the range or maybe high end, low, middle, middle of the road uh, QB2. I think there's a lot of good players in that range that have played better recently. And uh, I don't know that I'm just, I mean, if he gets DeAndre Hopkins, that would certainly change the situation there a little bit, but he's got a pretty good receiving core as it stands. I just don't, there's nothing last year that said to me, I need to rank this guy in the top 12 or top 10. Where do you stand on Elijah Moore? Because Amari Cooper's getting dragged along. It's a top 20 wide receiver. But Elijah Moore is the one who's been bolstered up around 90 to 95 ADP as the team's presumed second receiver. And following last year's results, where he couldn't even get on the field for the Jets, a 10% target share with the team as well, do you think Elijah Moore is someone who's naturally going to be brought along and succeed in this offense from Watson? Yeah, I think, you know, in my years, you know, being a, fag- a fantasy prognosticator, it's always nice to see a player like Moore or even like Aaron Rodgers get a change of scenery. And usually their stats, their mood, everything is bo- uh, boosted as they go to their new team. And, and you look at what the Browns did. They, they went out and traded for Elijah Moore for a reason. They're going to use him more than the Jets were going to or what they did last year. And he has the reason he's at wide receiver 44 right now, in my estimation, is that he's had a really good offseason. There was a number of news blurbs about him shining at camp, being the, the most active receiver at camp, all that. And uh, you kind of forgotten about Donovan Peoples Jones and how he, you know, had some flashes last year. We're kind of forgetting about uh, David Njoku, uh, who could have another second breakout year uh, with Deshaun Watson, a quarterback, if this passing attack can, can take off. I think his ADP, uh, more is it's at wide receiver 44, certainly seems fair to me. You've got Brandon Cooks at 43, Rashad Bateman at 45, Zay Flowers at 46, Michael Thomas at 47. So a lot of guys there with, uh, you know, we were, we're talking about um, boom-bust type players. We're talking about volatile players. There's quite a few players there in that group where you're kind of drafting him, hoping that uh, they're able to establish themselves as the number two or perhaps the number one in the case of Bateman uh, in their offense. And it's just nothing is for certain right now. I think this group will sort of sort itself out uh, as we get into training camp and we start to see more you know, news reports about, oh, this is the depth chart. This, these players are shining. These players are not. I also think Cedric Tillman is a sneaky last round tack on and you just cross your fingers. He can beat out Donovan Peoples Jones in three wide sets. Like with Deshaun Watson under center, we at least know Cleveland boosted their 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets to a top 10 rate over his last six games with the Browns. At the same time, 
Tillman was drafted only one spot behind Jalen Hyatt. And remember, Jalen Hyatt, who of course ended up with the Giants, totaled, totaled in college through his first two seasons, 500 yards and four touchdowns. That's it. Because Cedric Tillman was the better player. Cedric Tillman broke out as a 21-year-old with 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns against the SEC at Tennessee. And then only when Tillman got injured in his final year in the third game, because it began the season with six catches for 83 yards and nine catches for 160 and a touchdown. Only then, when he was out of the way, did Hyatt emerge as the Blitnikoff Award winner with 1,200 yards and 15 touchdowns. And so, honestly, like as a six foot three, 219 pound DeAndre Hopkins like possession receiver, I think Tillman can actually very easily win out that third wide receiver job. And he's going universally undrafted. So, he's another player I really don't mind taking a, a last round shot on. Yeah. And I would, I would just add with, you know, uh, with people's Jones. And so that'll be, inter- that'll be an interesting uh, camp battle to watch. Cause we does, it does appear that Amari Cooper is going to be the number one and Elijah Moore likely the number two, or at least a starting role. You know, you're talking about a player who is 24 DPJ, uh, six foot two, uh, 61 catches for 839 yards and three touchdowns last year, 96 targets. And it would be surprising to me if a rookie came in and beat him out, but it's possible. I mean, you're, you're, you, you did speak highly of, of Tillman, uh, but this is an 800-yard receiver uh, ascending 24-year-old. So it'll be interesting to see that camp battle as it progresses. I don't know that this offense is going to be able to support three fantasy receivers plus a decent tight end, uh, but we will see. Calvin Ridley is another one being drafted inside the top 20 of this position, and I can't wrap my head around it, so I'm hoping you can help me because – Again, when speaking about the volatility of a player, we are two years removed from him leading the league in deep targets. I assume that's how it will be used in Jacksonville. But also, he's a full year removed from football. The last time we saw him, he played just five games. But in those five games with the Falcons, injury games as well, he averaged 10.4 targets, the fourth most targets per game among all wide receivers. And so, at least the last time we saw him, he had elite usage. But... We are fresh off a year where Christian Kirk, his first 1,000-yard season from Trevor Lawrence, also a career high in fantasy points per game. And Zay Jones, who continues to be forgotten about, but literally helped people win their best ball leagues and tournaments last year as a spike week player with 25% of the team's targets in the second half of the season. So your thoughts on Calvin Ridley and how you think these Jacksonville receivers shake out together? Yeah, I, I really like Calvin Ridley as a player. You know, his his time with Atlanta, great route runner. We know that. Super productive. Had some – his bigger years were bigger than Christian Kirk's career years. So, like, if, in a vacuum, if you're, if you're taking that player and you're putting him in a locker room with Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, Ridley should be the alpha. But we have to project that and hope that because he's been away from football so often. And is it – different than the Deshaun Watson issue where he was away from football uh, coming back as a quarterback versus coming back as a running back. Is there is going to be as much rust for Ridley to knock off as there was for, for Deshaun Watson, certainly the, the Watson uh, absence and then return to poor play gives me some pause with Ridley. I have him right now at wide receiver 18. I'm not completely comfortable with that. Uh, you know, Mike Williams, Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy below him. Uh, and then we're getting into that Tyler Lockett, Christian Watson group that I was talking about earlier. 
I, you know, Kirk, I had I have a 26. I think when I first did projections, I had Kirk projected slightly higher. Uh, but I do think that Ridley's the better player and the talent will win out. But if you're looking at this team as a whole, there are just a lot of receiving options. And I don't know that any of these players is going to be able to post wide receiver two numbers or higher consistently, given all the, the different weapons they have. I mean, they have a good pass catching tight end. They've got three pretty good receivers. They got Travis Etienne at uh, running back as well. So there's, you know, they're there. Even though Etienne didn't see a whole lot of passing down work, they might add, they might add that to his plate this year. So just a lot of competition for touches, a lot of mouths to feed, as they say. So not super confident in this wide receiver two ranking for for Ridley. And maybe as the fantasy fellowship points out in the chat, it is Kirk and PPR as the team's slot possession receiver and Calvin and half PPR is the presumed deep threat. At the same time, though, I also think what makes avoiding Calvin Ridley at that ADP more worthwhile is how easy it is and how many options there are to uniquely stack Trevor Lawrence. Like even if you want to go Travis Etienne, even Tank Bigsby, Evan Ingram goes around tight end nine to 10, just ahead or in between David Njoku and Pat Fryermuth. And again, Zay Jones is going to be one of my highest roster players, given that he's already proven he can have a top five weeks and win your week single-handedly just last year, despite Ridley now being on the team. So I just think there's so many ways to stack Trevor Lawrence that it doesn't have to be with, uh, you know, our, our raw projections on a player who's a year and a half removed from football. Yeah. And I think uh, I did see a tweet and I'm sorry that I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about Marvin Jones leaving and I'm just double checking his targets share last year, but I believe he had 80 targets, uh, 81 targets last year. So some, you know, most of that's going to go, if not all that's going to go to Ridley. Ridley's also going to dig into these other players a little bit as well. He's probably going to be a 120 plus target guy if he's back to normal. Uh, so there is going to be, you know, maybe there's 40 targets that need to, if you're, if you're looking at the, the pie is staying the same size in terms of the pass attempts, there are going to be 40 targets coming from some of these other players. I would think Zay Jones probably gets hit the most because he's, you know, outside receiver uh kirk kirk is in the slot that you know ingram maybe those guys stay a little you know are able to hold on to their targets a little bit more i don't see the upside for travis Etienne as a pass catcher so i think it's probably jones you know jones that probably gets hit the most if if one of these guys does take a you know a big hit on targets when we speak about volatile players we cannot go without talking about kyle pitts and usually what everyone goes back to is his a thousand yard rookie season but then they skip the part about that thousand yards not mattering for fantasy football since he's still in his career now through two seasons has just four top five finishes and has yet to reach ADP. And so now Pitts is being drafted in the sixth and seventh round though, whereas of course last year he got boosted up to the third or fourth round for no good reason. So your thoughts on Pitts at a depressed ADP compared to last season. Yeah, he's uh, going off the board, tight end five. I have him at tight end seven, so I don't think at that ranking I'm going to get a whole lot of him this year. I do like I did move him ahead of Evan Ingram due to this uh, target competition in Jacksonville. You know, I don't know that that's going to actually finish that way, but I do think Pitts has more upside given his talent. I think he's a physical specimen. But um, I, look, I Arthur Smith. Last year, he you know he had one of the best tight end rookie seasons Pitts did. Followed it up with just kind of a dreadful, disappointing usage. Uh, you know Drake London in. We went to this super run heavy offense with Marcus Mariota. 
Uh, Desmond Ritter did attempt more passes per game than Marcus Mariota did in those last four starts. It was something like 28.5 or something like that. I did tweet about that earlier this week. You know, I'm projecting for the team for about 29, I think, uh, pass attempts per game. So, you know, getting back to a semi-normal <laughs> offense, but still not normal. I just don't know that there's enough, you know, you're adding Bijan Robinson to this. He's going to be used as a pass catcher. They're going to continue to run the ball heavily with, you know, drafting the guy uh, running back in the top eight. I just don't have the confidence that Arthur Smith's going to suddenly be able to get Pitts to where he's returning top five tight end value. I do think there's potential there if things sort of break his way, if if Smith breaks his tendencies, if they start to feature him more somehow. Uh, but the way things stand there, it, I have no confidence that he's going to, you know, outscore Dallas Goddard or Darren Waller when, you know, all three are healthy. Like you, I do believe the Falcons pass play rate logically increases. Uh, last year's league low 48% pass play rate in neutral game script was the lowest of the last five years. So logically, I believe it's going to regress. The only issue is I, I think people are boosting it up too much illogically. Like how much will it actually increase? And is it would it then be enough to get two players there, like a Drake London and Kyle Pitts, especially if, as you're talking about, we think Bijan Robinson, because I believe so as well, will actually be used in the passing game quite heavily. And so that to me just says, take a stand. You choose one or the other. And given how wide receivers are being pushed up draft boards, that makes me want to be higher on Drake London in the same range as Kyle Pitts instead. Yeah, you look at their respective ADPs, uh, you know, London or, or Pitts is going pick 69. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where is London going? I just I thought it. it was I thought it was roughly 58. My apologies. I just had it 43 at now at, at uh, underdog, but that's that's underdog. Ooh. So they're they are going very, very, very early with mm-hmm. receiver at underdog. That's why I couldn't find it. It was so high. Um so I think given those two, you might want to sprinkle some pits in. But you know, if you get if you get into leagues or you know you're drafting at sites where London and Pitts are kind of going near each other, I would favor London if you're, you know, if you're in need of a receiver. I just feel like he's probably got the the higher floor given these two. Eagles backfield is another confusing situation, and we will probably have to wait until camp to see how it all shakes out. Boston Scott, oddly enough, making the most money this upcoming season, but at the same time and trading a fourth round pick for DeAndre Swift on the final year of his rookie contract, plus having Rashad Penny make only 300K, but still up to a million in incentives and performance-based incentives if he happens to reach that. The the world is this backfield's oyster. Kenneth Gainwell included, and right now Gainwell, uh, who is getting steamed a bit, is actually my pick to lead this backfield in touches, but... Your thoughts on the Eagles' backfield and what you're doing with this situation? You have you think Gainwell is going to lead this backfield in touches? I do. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be such compartmentalized roles that Gainwell makes the most sense since he is most likely the pass catching back. Okay, so I would put I would pencil Swift in as the pa- pass catching back, and him coming in, I think I think he hurts uh, he hurts. Uh, Gainwell's upside more than uh, Penny's. So this is a this. You, we, I guess our discussion here is underlying the fact that this is a very uncertain, hard to project uh, backfield. I think you know when that when the DeAndre Swift 
trade happened, I think I was excited now that he was going to perhaps be used uh, in a bigger role. But you look at what the the Eagles did last year. They did you know feed Miles Sanders two hundred fifty plus carries, but they don't they don't throw him the ball. They didn't throw him the ball, uh, and that's Swift's game. So who who who's most likely to get most of those carries? And I think you're you know you could make a case for both Swift. And uh, for Rashad Penny, I mean, Rashad Penny has been excellent whenever healthy. So we have two really good, and I, was, I, I calculated uh, fantasy points per touch for the running back position as I was beginning to write up Swift. And he, I think, was fifth in over the last two seasons in fantasy points per touch. But Penny's right there as well. I think he's in the top 10 as well. So you have really effective players. They're also injury prone, or they have been, if injury prone's a thing. So to me, it's very uncertain as to who's going to lead the backfield in touches. I think it's whoever stays healthy. Maybe Gainwell has the best chance to stay healthy. But in, you know, I'm looking at Swift at RB23. I'm looking at Penny at RB38. I think I would lean Penny because of the, the cost is so much cheaper. Uh, if if Swift misses time and now you have Rashad Penny and Kenneth Gainwell in a uh, in a committee, you're looking at Penny probably in that Miles Sanders role, and he we've we've seen him really shine. We know he can run, and they have one of the best offensive lines in football. Uh, you know, I think Penny could be a quote unquote league winner in that scenario. But again, if Penny can't stay healthy and Swift's healthy with Gainwell, you're looking at Swift probably in the primary running back role because he can do both pass and catch. And he could be the league winner of the two. I think it really comes down to who, which one of these guys gets injured. And that, that's hard to predict. And Swift has scored a touchdown in 20 of 40 career games. So he has proven he can absolutely score points and bunches in fantasy football. At the same time, though, we did get the rumors that maybe Rashad Penny starts on IR. Given how little he's making, maybe he's the one who's actually cut coming out of camp as well. And then you have to factor in, did Howie Roseman trade for Swift just because he understood it was free? Like if Swift leaves after this season, then the Eagles get back a fourth round pick in 2025. Since that's the compensatory pick they traded to Philadelphia on Swift's last year of his deal. And so maybe they just did it because they understood there was no consequences to adding him to this roster, especially when half of their defense were his Georgia teammates. So I don't know, like they're, it's so volatile. I do know when you were out though, I, because we kept the conversations going, did bring on our own Adam Hutchinson and the great Edwin Porras, the fantasy analyst, to discuss Penny and his injury situation. And they even mention how not just volatile, but how dangerous he is at his, at his ADP as the second Eagles running back off the board, given that, and I love the way they put it. That's why I keep citing them, given that previous injuries are the greatest predicator of future injuries. And so maybe that is a reason then to avoid Penny at this ADP in the 90s. If I could add other, one other thing that I discovered yesterday is just trying to talk myself into Swift as the pass catcher and, and having a high pass catching role because we know that the Eagles don't throw to the running backs a whole lot. Uh, you know, they, they changed OCs now and Brian Johnson is now in as the offensive coordinator. His last job was as the offensive coordinator was uh, with the University of Florida in 2020. That year, running backs caught 67 of the team's 301 completions, and that was a 22.3% share. That's significantly higher than last year's uh, Eagles share of 13.7%, so almost twice as many uh, receptions going to the running backs. Now, 
some of that's going to have to do with Jalen Hurts and is he willing to throw to you know check down and throw to the running backs when when necessary. But that's at least some reason for hope that you know you're, you're getting Swift or in your case Gainwell in a you know 60 65 catch type role. You know right right now I've got him projected for under 50 catches. And we of course are trying to find that pass catching back for Philadelphia because as I've mentioned on previous shows, but just in case someone is tuning in for the July fantasy football bump. Against the league's easiest schedule last year, Jalen Hurts averaged 19 and a half first half attempts. The Eagles built leads. And then, of course, he only averaged 11 second half attempts per game. This year, they're projected against a median schedule, the 16th toughest projected in the league. Thus, we think we're going to get more passing volume because they'll be in com- more competitive game scripts. So we want that player for sure out of their backfield. The Chiefs receivers are also a very volatile one. And if you asked me to choose one that I could see early their final results, it would be Kadarius Tony because then we would know what to do with the rest of the guys. But right now, Kadarius Tony, 70 ADP, basically where Sky Moore was being drafted last year. Sky Moore, who was used in three wide sets at OTAs, mid 90s, and then everyone else is filling it out with MVS around 150. We have Justin Ross, who's for some reason is going drafted in the last rounds. Uh, Richie James, who's projected to be the team starting punt returner um, is also going into his last round. So how are you handling more importantly, Kadarius, Tony and Sky Moore? Yeah, this is, you know, this, this podcast, the the topics have been just all the headaches that I'm dealing with behind the scenes, trying to project. Welcome back from vacation. It's like, Oh, who do you like? Who do you like amongst the KC receivers? I mean, personally, I'll take uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, but he's not technically a receiver. Um, Yeah. you, You, I think, you, you'd want to say Tony. I think that's what my, my heart brain would want to say. He showed some flashes, uh, you know, even last year, but the previous year with the, uh, with the Giants. Going pick 73 seems pricey, uh, but they didn't play him a whole lot down the stretch last year. Like they didn't ramp up his snaps. I don't, I think you had a stat for how many snaps he played in the, in the Super Bowl. He played uh, nine a, snaps, Tony did in the Super Bowl after they hyped him. For two weeks straight and of course those nine snaps he had one catch and it was a touchdown ending my dfs lineups which is why i remember so that is not the type of workload that you would say oh this is a precursor to a wide receiver one season on his own team uh the following year so uh if i'm stacking uh mahomes or trying to you know you can't really do it with kelsey or you you know in, in a Super flex type league because Mahomes is already gone. Kelsey's already gone. You might be able to do it in a regular league uh, stack Kelsey and, and Mahomes. But if you want another player, I think Tony is somebody you can throw a dart at. But I don't know. Like I'm looking at the other players around him. I'm not confident that he's going to outscore them. Sky Moore supposedly doing well. He came out of college, really good route runner. He's a Matt Harmon favorite. Had a really disappointing rookie year. Maybe it comes together in year two, 115 uh, ADP right now at, at underdog. Rasheed Rice, 141 ADP. I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that MVS is going to be playing a lot of snaps. I mean, they they paid him a lot of money uh, in that last contract. He did okay last year. He's going to be out there with Patrick Mahomes for 70, 80% of the snaps, and he's going fourth amongst the receivers. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially in best ball when he does have those big games and a lot of quiet ones. So 
that's where I'm at with this. I probably would take MVS over Rice and even more, but I'm. This is one of those uh, situations where you're definitely paying close attention to OTA talk, which has already passed, but uh, camp talk where you're trying to figure out the pecking order of this group. It might just be a big rotation where everybody's playing 50, 60% of the snaps and a different guy pops each week until somebody really establishes them as themselves as a wide receiver one. It's going to be a different conversation in home leagues because I recall writing our exploiting the default rankings on sleeper and Yahoo articles for the site last year, which I'll be doing again this year at the end of July. And Tony was someone I was drafting early because the ADP was just out of hand compared to underdog. And again, this year in home leagues, Tony's just going to be forgotten about and rightfully so. Whereas underdog, everyone's just trying to get ahead of this perceived curve in his game and extra opportunity with that 70 ADP. And so where I stand is just avoiding him at 70 and taking advantage of him on other platforms where we think we can get that advantage, including home leagues. But on underdog, that's where I genuinely just don't care. Uh, I, like you, I will take my chances with the last guys. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I think it comes down to this. Like you're looking at his ADP at 73. Guys going ahead of him, Lockett at 64. I'm taking Lockett every time. Mike Evans, yes. 68. Uh, even if... Even if uh, the quarterback situation there is not ideal. Mike Evans is still a, a much safer pick in my estimation than Tony uh, and probably has more upside as well. Traylon Burks going 69. Uh, probably the number one receiver there. I think it's the number one receiver there at Tennessee. I would assume he's going to take a big step forward. I saw some good positive reports about him uh, playing at a different speed this year. Uh, interesting player, Jordan Ad Addison going one pick before Tony. So that's an interesting conversation as to what you think Addison's uh, role is going to be with, with Minnesota. Jahan Dotson, who had a very good rookie season, even though he was injured for part of it, uh, going right after Tony, George Pickens, Gabe Davis, Quentin Johnson, Brandon Cook. So there's some good players going after Tony who I would think are going to probably outscore him. But does Tony have enough upside? And given the just the nature of this Kansas City receiving core where it's just wide open, I mean, if you, if you shine and camp you might be playing 90 percent of the snaps with patrick mahomes uh that's that's like hitting the jackpot and finally i want to wrap up with a player who i knew it was coming eventually i just wasn't sure when and that is tony pollard's adp the last few days has been surging as he continues inching closer and rightfully so to the first second round turn i don't know why everyone was scared of ghost the past few months they said Bijan Robinson was going to join the team. It was never going to happen at the mid-20s. Robinson was never going to make it there. They said Zeke was going to come back. Uh, it would take a massive pay cut, one that Zeke didn't want beforehand for Zeke to come back. And now it's only Deuce Vaughn, Ronald Jones, and Malik Davis behind Pollard, who, of course, has been the RB1, RB7, and RB3, and three career starts for Zeke. RB9 in points per game last year, and only 13 and a half touches per game behind Zeke as well. So... Pollard, where do you have him in your rankings? Yeah, I think he's going to have a great season. Uh, you know, the even being worried, I think what's probably kept his ADP down a little bit is they're you know worried they're going to add somebody. They might Ezekiel Elliott might come back, but even with Ezekiel Elliott, you know, in the fold last year, Pollard was I believe the RB seven at the end of the season. So he's being drafted at where he finished last year with Zeke in the backfield. So. I think that's good value. Um, I've got him at looks like six in. I got him at eight in uh, half PPR. Uh, he's higher. He's six in PPR. 
Uh, but he's right there with he's in a tier to me with Bijan Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, and Derrick Henry. Uh, I think you could certainly make a case that you should go Pollard over Henry or Jacobs due to workload concerns last year and you know maybe aging and some injury that might pop up this year. Uh, he's only five points behind Bijan Robinson for the RB4 projection. So um I really like Pollard. I think he's going I think he's going to have a great season. And where's he going end of the first now? He's still going mid-second, but he's inching closer the closer we get to this training camp, thinking the Cowboys won't add anyone behind him. But that to me has been the argument all along the last month has been keep on taking advantage because the Cowboys won't add anyone anyways. They don't care about their depth. They have the players they want on that roster right now. It's going to be Tony Pollard. Yeah, one of the things that jumped out to me about underdog ADP, I mean, it's very, very wide receiver heavy in the first round now. And what that's done is we have Nick Chubb going 17. He's my RB3. We have Tony Pollard going 22. We have Derrick Henry going 24. Josh Jacobs going 28 in the third round after a huge year last year. Brees Hall going 31st. So, you know, even if you are a running back aficionado, a robust RB drafter or whatever, you can start in the second round now and get some of these really great players and guys that normally would be going near the one, two turn are now going in the mid second or later. And that's what I've been doing. I have Christian McCaffrey as my RB one, and I'm not necessarily fading Christian McCaffrey because I still have all the faith in the world in him. But the way structures work right now is I feel like I can't take Christian McCaffrey at those first five picks because when it comes back to me, Tony Pollard, Derek Henry, Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall and Ramondre Stevenson are all usually there. Thus, if I don't want to start RB, 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 I need to instead grab a top four receiver and then go running back, running back from there. So Christian McCaffrey is accidentally someone I'm fading, but only because of what structures allow at the end of June. Yeah. And you're looking, I mean, I just think RB is deep this year. Aaron Jones is going to pick 54. Alexander Madison, who has been an RB fantasy RB one, anytime he's had the starting job uh, in Minnesota, He's going to pick 60. So you can get one of those guys in the fifth round. Uh, Miles Sanders is going to pick 64. They're talking about passing him the ball more uh, in Carolina. He, he was a pass catcher his rookie year with Philly, and uh, they got away from it. But now he's very, you know, he had a good chance. He's got a good chance to see 300 touches if he can stay healthy. Cam Akers saw a ton of work down the stretch. He's going to pick 71. And the list goes on and on. There's these, there's like bell cow types that are, and like in the case of Jones, he's not a bell cow, but he's a perennial top 10 type guy going in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. So definitely more inclined to wait on the running back position. And if, if you're, if your plan backfires, you know, you go receiver first and then all those running backs go, you still have backup options in the, in, you know, in the later rounds, fourth, fifth, sixth round, you can build. I mean, I don't want, I wouldn't have a problem with Aaron Jones as my RB one in the fifth round. So why not? With that being said, Paulson, what else do you have on the site and coming out for everyone soon? Uh, yeah, so this is the time of the year where I am uh, writing player blurbs, uh, draft notes. You might have seen them on Twitter. I'm starting to build up my Instagram uh, account a little bit and uh, posting my draft notes over there. So at 444 underscore Johns, the same as my Twitter over at Instagram. Give it a follow. Uh, I'm able to do longer form stuff there, some video work. I'm going to try to build that up this season to interact more with the, the followers. Uh, Twitter has been a little bit limiting lately. So uh, 
I've got almost all the top 30. I think I got the top 30 running backs all done. I'm now working on uh, the quarterback position and we'll obviously roll out tight ends and receivers after. The rest of the draft kit and everything else for everyone with a subscription will also be coming out beginning in July as we ramp it up towards football season and player profiles on the site for everyone right now that everyone's done a tremendous work on. So until next week when we have Sigmund Bloom and a new topic back with us, remember, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time.